sequence initiated. Auto sequence start, second umbilical separating, T minus 15 seconds. You can see the engine starting to fire. Second umbilical. The first stage ramping up. Engine turbo pumps at twice speed. Engines at max thrust. And lift off. Oleg Skripochka, Jessica Mirhaza, Ali Al-Mansuri leaping forth from Gagarin's start on their way to the International Space Station. On the 27th of September 2019, Haza Al-Mansuri became the first Emirati to go to space. He did it from Baikonur, Kazakhstan, from the same spot that Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, started his journey almost 60 years ago. Back then, in the early years of the space race, Cold War rivals, the Soviet Union and the United States were in a technological battle to achieve space flight capability in hopes to secure their scientific and symbolic superiority. Yuri Gagarin went into space 10 years before the UAE was formed in 1971. You're listening to a Beyond the Headlines special about the UAE's space mission and the first Emirati to go to space. Since the Soviet Union sent Yuri Gagarin into space almost 60 years ago, 40 more nationalities have left the Earth's atmosphere. Although few nations have their own technology to make the journey, there's a growing desire to take part in humanity's expedition into the cold, hostile environment, with many nations spending millions of dollars to take part in the privilege. I spoke to Simon Ings, science historian and culture editor at New Scientist magazine, about why humans have a drive to travel beyond our planet. Different nations have different motives for traveling into space, and it shows up in the way they organize their space programs and how they fund things and the missions that they choose to develop. So that America is very clearly looking to extend a frontier, its western frontier into outer space. Uh, For the Russians, it's a a very different emphasis, which is about gardening, about looking for somewhere to extend settlement and agriculture. Because you have to remember, Russia has a large part of its territory that's virtually sterile. It's incredibly hard to grow crops. So moving to the moon isn't that much of a stretch from moving to Siberia. And so these different emphases make a, a difference to the way space missions look. So America is very much about reaching for Mars, reaching for new territories and sending probes out to new territories and talking about settlement. And the old Soviet Union was very much about building stations within orbit and keeping people in orbit for long periods of time. In the end, space is such a hostile environment that we're all going to end up working to the same kind of parameters to actually survive there. But initially, each nation has a very curious take and a very particular take on what it wants space to look like. The UAE has set its sights on some grand interplanetary travel ambitions. The country has set in motion a plan to build a colony inhabitable by humans on Mars by the year 2117. It plans to land a probe on Mars in 2021, which will mark the 50th anniversary of the country's birth. The probe is intended to collect information about the planet's meteorological layers and to assess the Martian atmosphere. Haza may have started his space journey from Baikonur, but it began in the UAE. 
Back in 2017, the Emirati fighter pilot was chosen from more than 4,000 applicants who were drawn from 38 different fields of work to apply to become the UAE's first astronaut in a program launched by Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center. I think the um, Emirates is a very, very interesting example of the way nations recreate space in their own image. At first glance, it looks quite American. It's about settlement. It's about reaching Mars. It's about extending into a hostile environment. At the same time, it resembles slightly the the Soviet emphasis on settlement and long-term staying. So there is the 2117 plan to put a city on Mars, which um, I was talking to a couple of NASA engineers the other day who said that the 2117 plan is the most realistic plan out there for Martian settlement. It's got the timing right. It will take about a century to have the technology to enable settlement to work on Mars. So I think the UAE has seized the opportunity of learning from the initial attempts and the initial failures and the initial parked projects of other nations and has come up with a remarkably credible version of what it will be like to settle space and settle our nearest neighbour. So can the UAE start to lead the way when it comes to space travel? Having 60 years of history to learn from is an advantage. Faisal Sala, social media journalist at The National and an Emirati himself, speaks about what the UAE sending Haza into space means to him. It took a while to sink in the reality of it because it took a while to realize that how big a deal it is to actually send someone into space. And we have to remember that the country is young. Um, We're only about a little over a million people here, Emiratis. And in less than 50 years in the country's history, we are sending someone into space. So huge achievement, of course. And as someone who uh, grew up uh, watching space films, fascinated by space, fascinated by um, everything to do with the future, with uh, technology, it's really incredible and probably only about last week it kind of just sank in and I I was taken aback by how huge an achievement it is and woke up today feeling mostly just invigorated by the idea that someone who speaks like me and and looks like me and probably had more or less the same um, upbringing and backgrounds and, and environments as me is going into space, you know. So incredible, incredible event. Um, the UAE really prides itself on doing things that uh, maybe everyone else thinks is impossible. Maybe not do them in the same um, efficiency as everyone else. But of course, uh, it's in line with everything else that the UAE has been doing. Um, to innovate, to uh, try and do what is presumed impossible. Um, of course, everyone's proud. Um, from the youngest to the eldest, it's the the eldest. Of course, uh, would have not imagined that within forty years they would be that good scientifically to be able to send someone up there. And the youngest, of course, will grow up in a world where their country sent someone to space. So, of course, that's going to be a whole other future. 
Faisal spoke about how space captured his imagination as a child from watching sci-fi. But Simon thinks there's more reason as to why space travel captures the imagination of humanity. The imaginative power of space is, is quite simple. We're looking for other Earths. We're looking for other places to settle. We're looking for new homes. We're looking for new territories in which we can try out new ideas. Our current um, environmental crisis is by no means helped by the fact that we're surrounded by old stuff, old technologies, old buildings, old infrastructures, old roads, old pipes. We're drowning in the past and it's quite difficult to reverse engineer all that and do something new. And so it's always tempting to find a, a blank space and build upon it so that you can get to the new ideas early and you can explore these new ideas and these new architectures and these new technologies and these new infrastructures. And that impulse, the impulse to space is essentially the impulse that builds places like Dubai. <laughs> um, the impulse to build in space, exotic as it sounds and exotic as it looks, I don't think it's wildly different from the impulse to build in previously unsettled or hostile environments on Earth. And we've been doing that for a very long time. Space is indeed a very hostile environment, and astronauts train for months before they embark on these missions. Part of Hazar's training was to sit in a specially designed chair that spun him around for 10 minutes every day. This was designed to help him grow accustomed to the high levels of motion sickness that he will encounter in space. For the first two days in space, the human vestibular system, the part of the body designed to help us maintain balance and spatial orientation, finds itself in a disarray as a lack of gravity renders it impossible to be able to tell which way is up. Dr. Kevin Fong, a specialist in space medicine, tells us about the changes a human body undergoes during space travel. Well, I mean, to launch into space, you have to travel tremendously quickly to get into orbit you have to go from naught to 17,500 miles an hour and that's um, what uh, your astronaut will have done along with his crew aboard the Soyuz uh, launcher uh, and actually I, I know people have ridden that rocket they actually say it's a relatively gentle launch compared to other other vehicles certainly compared to the space shuttle um, um, but there's still a fair amount of acceleration and you certainly feel uh, you know a lot of loading because of that acceleration but you're very quickly into space within a few minutes and then you're weightless and that's pretty enjoyable um, and so that period uh, is really dominated by the forces of acceleration. But after that, after that brief period of launch is over, then what you have to contend with is the with, is uh, then what you have to contend with is the effects of weightlessness. Weightlessness is what, over a longer period of time, can potentially have serious consequences. There are many systems in your body which depend upon the force of gravity to shape them, and that includes your muscles very obviously. If you are working out, you're lifting uh, weights against gravity, that's how you build your muscles. And so even if you're just moving around during the day it, it, on Earth, you're still doing work against gravity that builds your muscles, but it also builds your bones. And so you lose muscle mass, you become, your muscles become weaker, uh, you lose um, uh, muscle 
density and you also lose bone density as well so your bones become weaker in space and all of that's quite appropriate to the space environment your heart is also a muscle it does work and it pushes blood around your body and that also has to do work against the force of gravity um, and in space we see some deconditioning of the, of the heart and the vessels and the system uh, that, that controls uh, the heart and the vessels. There are newer problems that we've noticed. Uh, astronauts seem to have problems with their vision if they spend too long in space. They uh, they also uh, experience problems with um, what we thought was a space anemia, so, so a shortage of red blood cells, but actually sort of just turns out to be a normal kind of diluting of, of, of the, uh, the red blood cells. So... The answer to that is the more we look, the more we see, and there are many, many medical issues in space, but very few of them seem to cause any significant problem in the long term for astronauts. Many of these changes are actually the human body adapting to the new environment. As for the psychological impact, Dr. Fong said, an astronaut's selection process makes sure the person going to space has a healthy psychological profile. Astronauts are generally chosen to be resilient team players and so you tend not to send people into space who are likely to be vulnerable to you know the the, the stresses and strains of everyday life working and living in a confined environment uh, you know un- under quite stressful conditions but the biggest impact on the human body is actually not when the person is thrust into space but when they return to earth returning home to earth could come as a heavy blow the problem is when you come back to Earth, you have, suddenly you're presented with gravity again for the first time perhaps in many weeks or months, and that's very hard. And actually, if you look closely at the film footage of astronauts who've recently returned from Earth, they, they look pretty worn out. They look like they're working pretty hard, and that's because they are, and that's because they're suddenly now dealing with the burden of gravity again for the first time in many, many weeks uh, and so you can have everything from difficulty in standing, problems with wanting to faint or actually fainting, you have problems with nausea and vomiting, problems with your, your well, your movements in general. Um, uh, but all of that seems to get better pretty quickly, you know, within, you most of it within a few days. It took Haza al-Mansuri five hours and 44 minutes to reach the space station. Assalamu alaikum. We are grateful to have reached the ISS. And alhamdulillah, everything is good. The earth is beautiful from this place. It is small, but I can see a small part of it. God protect you. Send my regards to the people of the UAE. After his epic eight-day space mission, Haza will be returning to Earth on the 3rd of October 2019, sealing not only his fate as the first Emirati in space, but also his country's fate, which has mighty space ambitions. Thanks this week to Simon Inks, Faisal Salah, and Dr. Kevin Fong. This is Beyond the Headlines. Subscribe to the program by tapping the subscribe button on your podcast app. Follow more of our coverage on our website, thenational.ae. We were produced this week by Aisha Khan, Arthur Pereira with assistance from Karma Gurung. I have been your host Sohail Akram. Thanks for listening.